Amen. Let us turn to the Word this morning, and that is from Exodus. So if you would, turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33, we'll pick it up in verse 12. The screen above, you might see that it starts at verse 9, and the bulletin also says verse 9, but let's move down Exodus chapter 33, beginning at verse 12, and we'll read to Verse 23. Exodus chapter 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And the Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you might give us the eyes to see your grace, your mercy. Give us the eyes to see the glory of Christ. As we think together on the topic of prayer, Lord, stir the appetite of our hearts to pursue the Lord Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So having worked through the first four chapters in the book of Acts, we are now taking some time to consider the topic of prayer and devoting a series of sermons on the topic of prayer And I want to tell you 
at least a few reasons why I want to devote some time to the topic of prayer. One reason being because of the great burden that I personally feel having worked through the book of Acts. If you could just consider the book of Acts, we've walked through the first four chapters, and in those first four chapters, I mean, there are several instances with regards to prayer. If you consider the very first chapter, verse chapter 1, verse 14 of the book of Acts, after Jesus ascended to the right hand of God, the apostles and other believers came together and came in one accord to pray. And then, later on in verse 24 of Acts chapter 1, when they are in need of replacing Judas, who went his own way and betrayed the Lord Jesus, they needed a replacement for Judas, and these early believers devoted themselves to pray to see who would the Lord have to replace Judas. Then in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it tells us that the early believers were together again. And I think we can rightly there assume that they were doing what they were doing there is praying as they waited for the Holy Spirit to come, and this was on the day of Pentecost. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, after the preaching of the gospel and thousands come to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it tells us that the early church devoted herself to prayer. And then fast forward to Acts chapter 3, Peter and John sharing the gospel, arrested, imprisoned, charged, threatened to stop preaching in the name of Jesus Christ, and they immediately go to the church, declare what's happened, and the church comes together to pray for boldness. And the Lord answers their prayer. And so there is, at least in me, a great stirring in my own heart to pray, not only personally, but also to pray with the church in my aim, and my hope anyway, with the assistance, I pray also with the hope by the Holy Spirit that He might stir in all of us a desire to pray, at least more, pray more than perhaps you are already. Another reason why we're devoting a series of sermons on the topic of prayer is to animate us in the, in the growing pursuit of Jesus Christ by prayer that we might pursue more of the Lord Jesus, that we might be conformed more into the image of Jesus Christ. And that certainly comes through devoting ourselves to the Word of God and the study of the Word of God and learning the Word of God. But but growing in Christ does not come apart from prayer. And one last reason is because of something that I came across from the words, these are actually the words of Jonathan Edwards who had once said, When God designs mercy, he stirs up prayer. Another way to say that is that God stirs up prayer in the life of his people when he has designed mercy, when he's designed to dispense new mercies in the life of his people. And my prayer and hope that this might be a stirring up of the saints to more and more prayer because God has designed mercy to pour out fresh and new mercies upon the life of the church. But we will know that unless we are stirred up to pray. So, the passage, we'll get back to Exodus chapter 33. One immediate thought you might have is, what in the world does this passage have to do with prayer? 
And so I admit to have a guilty pleasure of taking a passage that has nothing or seemingly nothing to do with the topic and to sort of keep people guessing and then to sort of bring it to mind, like how exactly does this have to do with prayer? And I think there is, I hope, something here in this passage that might stir us up to pursue Christ through prayer. But first, let us consider the constant challenge of prayer. But how about a definition of prayer? John Bunyan defines prayer in this way, and this is lengthy, it's a bit wordy. Prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ and the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised or according to the word for the good of the church with submission and faith to the will of God. Praise a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ and the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised or according to the word for the good of the church with submission and faith to the will of God. To put it more concise, prayer is a pouring out of the heart to God through Christ in the assistance of the Spirit for those things that are consistent with the Word in submission to the will of God. Calvin even says it more concise. He says, prayer is the casting of all the thoughts of our hearts unto the lap of God. Some of you have probably have heard it defined as simply talking with God. That prayer is just communicating, talking with God. Open your mouth and talk to the Lord, and that is prayer. And certainly that is the case. I would not disagree with that definition. I certainly would not disagree with these other definitions provided by Calvin and Bunyan. But when we think of prayer simply as talking with God, I'm afraid that there is unintentionally a communication of something about prayer that is, I don't know, that is, might lead us to think that it is actually easier than we might think, that it is actually as easy or as simply as opening your mouth and talking to the Lord. And the reason why I want to be cautious in thinking about prayer just simply in that way is because prayer is actually quite challenging. In fact, I would argue that prayer is probably one of the most challenging things in the Christian life. And perhaps you've never thought of it that way. In the military, specifically in the Marines, I don't know if this is the case still, but I know at a time when they would have a crucible towards the end of one's, what do you call it, the, their training, their initial training, their boot camp, where all of their training would come to head in this final week when you would do all these challenges, meet all these obstacles, functioning on very little sleep. You would go this, into this week devoted to the crucible, and prayer itself is challenging. Prayer is, is a kind of crucible. Because when you come before the Lord, 
and engage in prayer, oftentimes it feels challenging because you're called to scale the wall of distractions. When you enter the crucible of prayer, oftentimes perhaps you are weighted down by a large, heavy pack of sin. Sins of yesterday, sins of the week before, sins that for whatever reason have still remained marked in your mind, giving you the sense of shame and perhaps making you feel as though prayer is the last thing that you want to do and a sense of unworthiness in coming before the Lord. When you enter the crucible of prayer, it's actually quite common to feel as if you're crawling under the barbed wires of the flesh, where your flesh itself is pulling you in different directions. The temptations, the lures, the desires of the world bearing upon the time of prayer. When you enter the crucible of prayer, Oftentimes it feels like you are hiking an uphill climb through the mud of polluted thoughts when you're engaging in prayer and all of a sudden you think of something that you watched yesterday or heard of something you listened to a week before or read something in a magazine that you thought you forgot all about until the moment that you sit down and start to pray. All of these things, temptations, sin, distractions, polluted thoughts, oftentimes all come together when all is quiet, when we have the word open, and our desire just simply to pray. Making it one of the most challenging things that we can do in the Christian life. However, as challenging as it is, we should not let the challenge of prayer become an excuse to laxity. It should never be an excuse to be slothful in our prayers just simply because it is challenging. Because those who enter the crucible each time are those who will be most rewarded. Matthew 6, verse 5, Jesus says that when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward the reward being the recognition of others. That's all they get because it's what they're after. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The Lord will reward you. And that is the great reward of the Christian life is to have more of Christ, which it is, and certainly you will have it. If you willingly enter into the crucible of prayer time and time again in the pursuit of Christ, the promise is that you will have more of Christ. But as challenging as prayer is, oftentimes is, along with these other challenges that come with prayer, there is another challenge that we must also be aware of which takes us secondly to prayer and idolatry. There are seasons that are marked by prayerlessness. Sometimes it's because maybe it's a season of sickness. Maybe you're not sleeping well at night and you're constantly hitting the snooze button in the mornings. 
perhaps your season is marked with busyness. There are so many things pulling you into so many different directions, demanding your time and energies. I can understand that. There's a desire to pray, but there's this constant battle with the flesh. But something that we must be weary of, something that we have to be willing to ask ourselves is, one, am I right now marked by prayer? Is my life characterized by prayer? And if the answer is no, something else that we must be willing to ask ourselves is, might there be an idol that has stolen away my affections for the Lord? Prayer, I don't think I need to tell many of you, especially if you've live long as a Christian, prayer is absolutely essential to the Christian life. The scriptures attest all over the scriptures from beginning to end how important prayer is. We learn from commands, we learn from examples, we learn from different individuals, different characters in the scriptures of how important prayer is. And though I thought and then I find it quite interesting that even in the Ten Commandments, as important as prayer is, you don't find prayer there. That's one of the Ten Commandments. And yet, I think that prayer is embedded in the Ten Commandments. So that prayer is a way of walking in the Ten Commandments. Namely, in the First Commandment. Exodus 20, verse 1, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The great commandment there is that God must be seated upon the throne of our hearts. That if anything else is seated upon that throne, then what we have is an idol. But that throne is reserved for God and God only. Not to be shared with anything or anyone else. Now what might that have in connection to prayer? Prayer is how we keep God seated upon the throne of our hearts. Prayer is what is helpful to us in preventing ourselves from manufacturing idols in the warehouse of our hearts. Prayer is a way that we continue to keep our eyes focused on the Lord and keep Him first and foremost and center in our lives. It is a way that we can center our entire lives around the Son that is God. And when we are marked by prayerlessness, it can be a mark of godlessness. Now what I mean by godlessness is that if your life is characterized by prayerlessness, it doesn't necessarily make you an atheist but godlessness in the sense that you have perhaps become an idolater. A prayer does not characterize your life. It is not a question of whether or not you worship, but a question of what you worship. What is it that you're worshiping? What is it that you're looking to? What is it that you're going to? Because we are all needy before the presence of the Lord. And if we're not pursuing 
the answers to our needs, then we must be pursuing it somewhere else. So what is that thing that you're pursuing instead of the Lord? And Jesus gets to the matter of the affections when he speaks of the first commandment. In Matthew 22, 36, someone had asked, Teacher, what is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. In other words, your entire being must love the Lord. Everything about you, your will, your inclinations, your affections must be directed towards the Lord first and foremost. You shall have no idols. You shall love the Lord. This isn't necessarily about schedules and how often do you have set times of prayer, but it's a question of whether or not prayer characterizes your life. One question to consider by way of examination is when there is a trial, when there is a temptation, when there is a need in your life, where do you turn? What is your initial reaction? Do you make haste to the Lord? Do you fly to the throne of grace? Or do you go elsewhere? Do you look internally? Do you look within yourself? Do you look within your own hands to solve your own problems? to bring about your own peace in the midst of anxiety and distress? Or do you immediately make haste to go and meet with God and pray? Prayer has been given to us as a means of keeping God upon the throne of our hearts. Which then takes us now to our text. And thirdly, desiring to see. Looking back at our passage in Exodus 33, beginning verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. Here's this exchange between Moses and God. And just before this, it reads in the passage that Moses met with God in a tent of meeting and that Moses and God met together as a man meets with his friend. And then we come to this, this conversation. We're given insight. We're like these, these listeners, like these spiders on a wall, just being able to, to listen into this conversation. 
the people of God had just sinned and deserved the judgment of God, and Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. And now he's afraid that God will not go with them into the promised land. He says, I will, go, I will send an angel with you. And Moses will not have it. No, that's not. I'm not content with that. I want your presence to go with us. I don't want just your promise that we will be kept safe and that we will enter the promised land. No, I want you to go with us. And then he makes this incredible request. This, please show me your glory. Which is quite remarkable. Which is because... God has displayed his glory all time and time again. I mean, just moments ago, they had just seen the great plagues come upon the land of Egypt. Those are all manifestations of the glory of God. Being rescued from slavery in Egypt. And then there's the parting of the Red Sea where the people of God walk on dry land. And then those colossal walls of the seas are brought down upon the Egyptians who are running and chasing after the Israelites. They have seen the glory of God. He has seen the glory of God time and time again. Here's the ones who was the timid Moses who was afraid to come before the the glory and the presence of God in the burning bush. It was afraid to be sent out as a spokesman on behalf of God to the people of Israel and to Egypt. Now here's Moses meeting in the very presence of God and asking God, Show me your glory. He wants something more. He wants to see something more. He wants a personal manifestation of God. He wants to see the Lord in the way that he's never seen him before. And he does this in part because he wants this assurance. If I have found favor in your sight, Lord, if you in fact do know me by name, please show me your glory. And the Lord, to protect Moses, is not able to show him the full display of his glory. Otherwise, Moses would be absolutely obliterated. But he shows him something. And the only thing that Moses can see without totally being annihilated from beholding the glory of God, it's just the back. Now consider that, and then consider a passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. It says there, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace, or the gospel that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them, in the prophets, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. There's this inquiry into the gospel of Jesus Christ that the prophets did not quite understand or comprehend or even know. And that even the angels of heaven into which they longed to look 
concerning Christ, concerning his sufferings, concerning the subsequent glories of the person of Jesus Christ. My point is that you and I, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, have been able to behold more glory than Moses had access to when he met face to face with God and asked, God, show me your glory. John Owen says, that real view which we may have of Christ and his glory in this world by faith is inexpressibly to be preferred above all other wisdom, understanding, or knowledge, whatever. The revelation made of Christ in the blessed gospel is far more excellent, more glorious, and more filled with rays of divine wisdom and goodness than the whole creation and the just comprehension of it, if attainable, can contain or afford. We behold the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Whenever we turn to the scriptures with an eye of seeing Christ, we are beholding the glory of Christ. Whenever we come on Sunday mornings and proclaim and sing of Jesus Christ, it is a way of beholding the glory of Jesus Christ. Whenever we sit under the preached word with an aim of focusing and looking to Jesus Christ, we are beholding the glory of Christ. Whenever we go to prayer and seek the Lord, it is a way of meeting face to face with Christ where we can behold the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ is shown in the person of Christ as we behold him in his word and reading about his goodness, his faithfulness, his mercy, his teaching, his dying, his resurrecting, his ascension. We see the glory of Christ as we go to prayer and make our needs known and the Lord sees fits to be gracious to us, answers our prayers. When we consider, when we listen to the testimonies of others of how the Lord Jesus saved them from their sin and the judgment that their sins deserved because of their faithlessness towards the Lord, we behold the glory of Jesus Christ. Consider also that the devil's chief design in keeping unbelievers unbelieving is by blinding them from beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The scriptures are like a Mount Everest where we have all these different caverns and all these, all these different caves. And each cave is a different book of the Bible. We have the cave of Genesis, the cave of Exodus, the cave of the book of Romans, the cave of the Gospel of John. And oh my gosh, there is so much treasure and so much gems to mine in the cave of the Gospel of John. And each one of them are intended to give us a display of the glory of Jesus Christ. you and I are able to behold more, even more than the three were able to see when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain. And all these different views of the glory of Christ are intended to whet our appetites for the divine glory that, when, that we will see when we meet with Jesus in heaven face to face. When 
when you wake up in the morning, oftentimes your eyes are blurry. Right? It takes a moment to get clarity because the, the surface of your eye is dry. And the, but the Lord wants to administer the eye drops of His glory so that you might see, but you have to want to see. You have to want to seek Him. And prayer is a means of grace, keeping your eyes lubricated so that you can see clearly and behold the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray so that we might see more. Which takes us to fourth and lastly, when I don't desire to see. What do you do when you don't desire to see? If you're in a season in your life right now, maybe you have had some time, a significant amount of time where you just haven't been praying perhaps as much as you used to for whatever reason, and you can admit that there just isn't this yearning, this burning desire to pray, what do you do? Here are some things to consider. The first, it's quite simple, but also quite challenging, especially we don't necessarily have the desire to. And, this, and the first thing is, is just start. Regardless of how you feel, just start. Start today. Go to the Lord and just pray. Years ago, I tried, I tried to become a runner. It hasn't worked out very well. One of the hardest things I've, uh, maybe, I don't know if it's one of the hardest things I've done, but it's certainly hard to run, and I hate running. I mean, just within 30 seconds of running, all I want to do is just sit down. But I did found, as I kept up with it, I found that it does get easier over time, especially as your lungs build up the, the capacity to take in breath, especially as you build up the stamina. I found that like the first, I don't know, the first 15, 20 minutes of running is the most challenging. Most of it is sort of like this mental challenge. If you were there or not, you could keep going. But essentially, you, get to, you cross this point where you sort of feel like you're on autopilot. You're just running. It's fine. It's not as mentally challenging as it was in the very beginning. You sort of develop this pace. Prayer oftentimes is very much like that. It's hard to get started. And that's oftentimes the most challenging part. And then it comes to keeping up with it. But I guarantee you, if you continue to discipline yourself for it and continue to pray, it does become easier over time. Discipline is its own reward meaning that the reward of discipline is more discipline. The more that you discipline yourself for something, the more disciplined you will be in that one thing. And when you have not developed the discipline or you have lost the discipline of prayer, the most challenging thing for you is to develop that discipline, but it will never develop unless you first start. You have to start somewhere. So why not just start? Start praying. Start today. 
the Lord's not going to turn you away. The Lord is not going to be hesitant to receive you. But He's welcoming you. He's welcoming you today to go to Him in prayer. Which leads me to the second. And that is focus not on duration. Don't focus so much on the duration of your prayers. Matthew 6, 7, Jesus says that when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. It's just helpful to start small. Right? And considering how challenging prayer oftentimes is, start small. It can be. Don't be ashamed if it's just five minutes. And slowly developing that over time, increasing in time. Consider the Lord's Prayer. Right? Oftentimes on Sunday mornings, as part of the pastoral prayer, we will recite the Lord's Prayer. When the disciples ask Jesus, teach us to pray, he gives them the Lord's Prayer. Consider that. That's, that's, a, that's a very short and concise prayer. In Luke 18, verses 10 to 13, if you're following along in the bulletin, it's actually, I put that, that was incorrect. I put Matthew, it's actually Luke. In Luke 18.10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There's a great chasm of differences between those two different prayers in that short text. And one of the great differences between those two different prayers is the length. Right? Do you think that a tax collector was disregarded by God just because his prayer was not as lengthy as the Pharisees? Certainly not. That's part of Jesus' point, that it was a tax collector who was received and his prayers was received, even though they were much shorter in comparison to the lengthy prayer of the religious teacher. The Lord prefers short, thoughtful, pouring out of the heart prayers than wordy, repetitive, thoughtless prayers. The Lord would rather have a sentence over a paragraph if the sentence captures the essence of the prayer better than a wordy paragraph. Sometimes a paragraph is better than an essay. And sometimes an essay is better than a dissertation. And sometimes a simple one-word cry for help is better than a long-winded, wordy prayer of an arrogant person who does not recognize his neediness for the Lord. Don't be afraid to start small. If you mean it, if it's a pouring out of the heart, the Lord receives it as a fragrant offering.
acceptable in his sight. Third and lastly, I say this cautiously based on what I said last week about a comment of regarding Brussels sprouts and the enemies I've made in regards to that. But this last one might actually make some more people upset. This last one is consider consuming less media. Don't be afraid to let the stones fly. Our minds are sort of like, like a dartboard. And media consumption is oftentimes like darts. When you're consuming media, whether it's social media, whether it's something, whether it's a television show or a movie, something that you read in a magazine, an advertisement, sometimes those things function as darts that are thrown to the dartboard of your mind and they just remain there. And you don't notice that you have those things upon the dartboard of your mind until you sit down to pray. Perhaps you resonate with this, but it's oftentimes when I, that I find myself when I'm, when I'm praying that all these things just sort of come to mind. These distractions, these thoughts, these things that I had no idea were in my mind somehow for some reason all come together when I pray. And so part of the challenge of prayer is that oftentimes our heads are not clear. And one of the chief reasons why our minds are not clear might be because we have a tendency to consume so much media and so much stuff that's in the world, not realizing that they have a greater influence upon our minds than we realize. And the only way to clear your head is by consuming less stuff and not permitting so much stuff to enter through the gate of your eyes and ears. And so consider consuming less so that you might, might, might be that much more clear-headed and so the crucible might, that, might be that much easier when you shut the door and pray to God in secret, seeking the reward of having more of Christ. Prayer is given to us as a way of seeing we will not see more of Christ. We will not behold more of the glory of Christ apart from prayer. My hope and my desire is that we would all be marked by a, a sort of this, this, this ravenous appetite to behold more of the glory of Jesus Christ. To see more of Christ in the Word. To see more of Christ as we behold creation. To see more of Christ when we gather with God's people, whether it's Sunday mornings, whether it's at a community group, whatever the case might be. That we might have this insatiable appetite to see more of Christ. And to think that we don't have to work so hard to see that glory. Christ reveals it. We can go and see it and behold it by just simply opening up the word, but we will not see it well apart from prayer. A ship 
tethers itself to a haven. So it's fixed there and so that it doesn't then become cast away in the oceans, adrift at sea. But, but, but when there is a slack in the chain and something's not done about the slack, well then the, inevitably the ocean will still carry that ship out bringing it further and further and further away from the haven, even though it is still chained to the haven. As believers, we remain permanently united with Christ, anchored to his haven, chained to his haven. But there are seasons, right, when we feel incredibly distant. The union is still there. Or you've been sort of cast away at sea. And prayer has been given to us as a means of sort of pulling on the chain and bringing the ship of our lives closer to the haven of Christ. When we're far out, vision gets blurry. Right? We're not able to see Christ as clearly as we would like. But when we remain close, we see him that much more clearly, and prayer is given to us as a means of keeping us close to the haven of Christ and there be able to behold him and his glory with greater clarity. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we Father, we ask that you might that you might stir up an appetite in our hearts to see and behold more of the glory of Christ. God, what an incredible Request that Moses had made to God that he would behold his glory. Lord, may that desire for more personal communion and intimacy with God mark our lives as well. And help us to pursue it through prayer. Help us to draw close to you through prayer. Lord, we are filled with many weaknesses. There's the pollution of our thoughts. There's the desires of the flesh. There are the distractions, the interruptions that oftentimes all come together when we sit down to pray, making it so, so hard. So we pray for your grace. We pray that you might help us, Lord. Help us to fix our eyes on you, to focus our minds upon Christ. Lord, help us to not be afraid of the challenge, but to meet it head on to enter the crucible of our prayer closets, whatever that looks like,
for each one of us. And there pursue you. And we pray that you in turn might be gracious to us and give us and reward us with more of yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.